Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Up with me to Revelation chapter 3 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We want you to have the Word of God in your lap. So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. Revelation chapter 3, it is the last book of the Bible, and it is not plural. It is Revelation. It's one revelation from Jesus Christ to his church. By the way, we had an incredible men's uh, conference yesterday, and thank you so much for all the guys who helped out. It was, uh, it was awesome. We had a, uh, several guys rededicate their lives to the Lord, and, and what a, I, I promise you that if you haven't heard it, you can go up to YouTube now. It will not be up there very long, I promise you, because of the content, but you want to make sure you get it and listen to it. It's awesome. It's, it's uh, first session was men, not boys which was awesome. Second session was about gender, why gender matters to God. And the third session was about the man, Jesus Christ. And it was just an incredible time of listening to guys uh, just praise the Lord. John Lowry led worship for us, which was awesome. And uh, just what a great time. So thank you guys so much for everybody who put in hard work to make this happen. It was great. All the other area Calvary's really enjoyed it as well. Stand with me. Revelation chapter 3 Beginning in verse 1, we read, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at the hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Lord, to speak to our lives. Speak right to our hearts, Lord. (laughs) Speak to our lives. Speak to our hearts, God. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to be willing to obey your voice. Lord, we ask you to remove any walls that might hinder your voice from getting right into the areas that we need to hear from you today. Encourage us, Lord. Build us up. Help us to stand on the firm foundation, which is you. May we just give you all the honor and glory this morning. You are worthy, Lord. We love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We ask you to come now. Speak to us by your spirit about your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The title of my message this morning is, When Reputation Doesn't Equal Reality. This is perhaps the greatest buzz pill kill a person can experience in this life. When they believe the PR of a person, a place, or a thing, only to be let down by reality. I remember several years ago, I was working for a company that made sports nutrition products, and one of the things that we did was we put on bodybuilding shows in our town to kind of promote the brand that we had. And I, was, uh, I had the privilege of picking up these guest posers that we would fly in. One year, my 
boss hired Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk, y'all, to come and be the guest poser. Now, you can imagine, I was super excited to meet Lou Ferrigno. I read a bunch of different articles about him, and just, you know, I, I had been reading about him for years through bodybuilding magazines and stuff, and thought like, wow, this guy seems like a super nice guy and all, and well, I was completely wrong about that. Listen, the first thing that that uh, Lou did when he got off the plane, and back then, you could actually meet the person at the gate. He's coming down the, you know, through the little hallway there off the plane, and he, and he sees me there, and he knows who I am, and I'm standing there, not with a sign, but he knew who I was, and, and he's like, where'd you take me, Iceland? You know, and I was like, what? Because I lived in Montana at the time. <laughs> the guy's from California. I'm like, bro, chill out, man. And, and he just pushes his bag right into my chest, and I was like, hunk. Oh, you know, his, he had his weights. No, he didn't, but, but he, get, he pushes his bag into my chest and, and then, and I was, and, and in that moment, I was like, you know what, Lou, somebody needs to teach you a lesson. And I said that in my mind, of course, because there's no way that I was saying that to him face to face. This guy would squash me like a bug. Literally, I was sitting in the, the car with him on the ride to the place, and I looked down at the guy's hands, and literally, his veins were like ropes, dude. I mean, they were at least an inch thick. I'm like, dang, you got some serious blood flow uh, going through those things. They, they were huge. But listen, the reality is his reputation that I had built up in my mind didn't, didn't equal reality. Maybe you've had that happen uh, with experience with somebody that you've built up in your mind as being totally awesome, and then you meet them, and they're like, well, they're not so totally awesome, are they? That's a real bummer, isn't it? Maybe it's a, um, a restaurant that somebody's touting in the area, and they're saying, oh, this place has the greatest food ever, you know, and, and you go there, and you're like, that was literally the worst meal I've ever had in my life. <laughs> maybe it's... Uh, uh, maybe it's a destination that's been touted as like the mecca of fun and you find out, you get there and it's like, this is a total dud. You know, that, that, that sometimes uh, the reputation of something can become way bigger than what reality is and it's a total letdown. That can happen in church as well. You go to a church and you hear how great it is and how right on it is and all these sorts of things and, and, and you get there and only to be let down. That's what Jesus finds in the city of Sardis, in the church there. He's heard of the great reputation that they have, but Jesus knows all things. And what he knows is the reputation of this church does not match reality. And because Jesus loves us, he won't try and pull the wool over our eyes and let us believe our own PR. He will address us. He will speak right into our lives. He will tell us the truth. Because the truth will set you free. And so Jesus is faithful to do that. He speaks to this, 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 this messenger of the church in Sardis. And he wants him, them to understand that there's still time. That there's some things that if they will turn away from the way that they're living. If they will turn away from the cultural things that they've adopted into their lives. And they'll turn to Jesus. That everything can change. But there's not much time. And that's the point of the passage here, folks. There's not much time. I don't know where you are this morning, and I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your reputation might be to others around you. But Jesus does, and he's not fooled. And so maybe this message is for you this morning. I would take heed of what he has to say. I would listen 
very carefully because guess what? Time is short. There's not much time, folks, and uh, Jesus wants to save people. He, he doesn't want to condemn people. He said that. He said, I came to bring life and that more abundantly. Uh, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to give life through Christ. That's a summarization. John 3, 3 16 and 17. Jesus wants to deal with spiritual deadness. He wants to deal with people that have a form of godliness but deny its power, who don't have a true relationship with him. If you are in a relationship with religion, you're dead. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the only way, folks, and he is what will set you free. By way of background, Sardis was one of the greatest cities in the region of Asia Minor. It was a lucrative city located in, at the junction of five major trade routes, just 30 miles south of Thyatira. Its main trade was gold and silver, as well as some expensive dyed garments. It's been said that the city of Sardis was a city of firsts. It was the first to mint the coin, the first to dye wool, making this a city of reputation. Not only that, but Sardis was also built upon an acropolis that was 1,500 feet above the valley below, making this a, seem a false sense of security and safety. This led to a very arrogant and self-reliant people that were overconfident and complacent, so much so that they wouldn't even set guards at their gate at night because they figured nobody could... Um, could you know, scale the walls to get inside the city. However, that was, uh, that, that reputation of Sardis was debunked not just once, but twice. In 548 BC, by the hand of King Cyrus and the Persians, uh, Sardis was conquered. The story goes that a soldier of Sardis was on a wall and his helmet fell down. And uh, so uh, one of the Persians was across, was in the valley watching this guy and he watched him go off the wall. He watched him come out of the wall, go down, grab his helmet and go back into a secret passage that led back up to the wall. Guess what? They found a way in. So at nighttime, they went to that secret passageway. Everybody was asleep and they conquered the city. That happened not, uh, just a couple hundred years later by the hand of Antique, uh, Antiochus the, the Great who hired a mountain climber to help him get into the city. And the phrase that developed as a result of the nature of these two defeats, and it was this, Sardis was taken as a thief in the night. Isn't it interesting that Jesus makes reference that he's coming like a thief? In AD uh, 17, Sardis was destroyed by an earthquake and rebuilt by Emperor Tiberius. But it would never become the city that it once was. And it was said that on any given day, you could walk down the streets of this city and listen to the citizens glorying of the past days of Sardis. The city had died. The only thing left were distant memories of her faded glory. This was the exact state of the church in Sardis. They too had become overconfident and complacent, relying on themselves um, to build the church. They were living on past glories, not in the present. May that never be said of you and I. Listen, if you're not growing today, if, you're not, if you don't have works going on in your life presently, 
then something's wrong. If you're looking backwards to glory about how great, is, great God is, something's wrong in your walk. We need to be looking in the present. We need to be saying, presently, God is doing these things. Not God has done these things. God is doing these things. And I'm not talking about the cross, the foundation. I'm not talking about salvation and those kinds of things, those memorials that we want to set up and remember. I'm talking about general daily life. I'm talking about, you know, when you're, you remember when the, the Lord led so-and-so to the Lord in the office building, that was 10 years ago. Well, what's he doing today? What's he doing today? We don't want to live like people in Sardis and glory in the past. We want and so that takes focus, and it takes, you know, uh, somebody who has got their eyes fixed on Jesus, who's willing to stay the course, to stay on mission, to do the work of a good soldier, as Paul would put it. So Jesus is dealing with, with this church who has taken on the same characteristics of this city. They are self-confident. They are not walking in the spirit. They are walking in the flesh. And Jesus will go on to tell them that their works are not pleasing to him. We'll see that in a second. Unlike all the other churches that Jesus um, deals with, there is no commendation for this church. There's nothing good that Jesus addresses. And every other church so far, he's had something to say that was good. Hey, I know your works and I know that you're trying hard. And, you know, he, Jesus looks for any opportunity to build us up. Any opportunity. He wants to encourage us. He wants us to, the things that we're doing well, he does take notice of and he does mention. But unfortunately in this church, there's nothing to mention. And so we have a little bit of a different of an outline. We, we have the correspondent that Jesus uh, addresses in this letter. Then we have a, a correction. We have the command and then the conditional promises. We're gonna start with the correspondent here in verse one where Jesus says, and to the angel of the church of Sardis, write the words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, if you've been with us, then you know when, when it says angel there that Jesus is speaking to a messenger, probably the pastor of the church. And the description that he gives is common in every one of these um, intros to every one of the letters to the seven churches. He is addressing something that they need to hear. He is utilizing a description from chapter one and he's explaining to them this is what you need to focus on. This is the part that's missing in your church. And so here we find Jesus describe himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now we know from chapter one, having gone through that, that the seven spirits of God is speaking of the Holy Spirit and the sevenfold manifestation that we find in Isaiah chapter 11, verse two, which says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of we have the spirit resting upon them. We have the spirit giving wisdom and understanding. We have the spirit giving counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord. The sevenfold manifestation, I think that was seven, right? I, have, I don't have my shoes off, so I'm not sure, but um, sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of God is the life and power of the church, folks. Jesus said himself in John chapter 6, verse 63, is the spirit, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The spirit also, he, he not only gives life, but he also gives power. 
We find this in Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit um, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The church has always been a work of the Holy Spirit. When you read the book of Acts, don't misunderstand who the acts are about. It is not the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. The foundation of the church is the cross and and the blood of Jesus Christ. But the power that comes for us to live the life that we're called to live after we've been converted comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, folks. If we're trying to do the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit, we're going to find failure after failure after failure. And you know what happens when when you live a life like that? You start to make excuses for yourself oh, well, the Lord didn't really mean that. Of course, he didn't really mean this. And you start to make excuses for yourself. Or you come to the place where you say, hey, there's something wrong. What am I doing? I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Jesus is writing to this church to notify them that they are not walking in the Spirit of God. They are walking in the flesh. They are not counting on the Lord to do the work through them. But they are... In fact, walking in the flesh, counting on themselves. And that will lead to spiritual deadness, folks. That will lead right to, right to spiritual deadness. Jesus not only says that, hey, I'm the one that has the spirit of God. I'm the only one that can give you the spirit, by the way, because I'm the one that holds it, representative of those churches in my hand as well. And he can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. You know, with, with, with the churches because they belong to him. The messengers belong to him. We find that interpretation from Revelation chapter 1 verse 20 where it's, we find the, the, the seven stars of the messengers of the pastors of the church. The church wasn't being held by Jesus any longer in Sardis. They had departed his grip and it, as it were and they had become self-reliant. This church needs to be made alive again. They're dead. What does that mean? There's only a few, Jesus says here, that are going to make it to heaven. But there's a ton of people that are worshiping on Sunday morning, that are showing up, that are going through the motions, but they will not make it. They will not make it to heaven because they have a, they have a religion that they're following, not a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the Lord, because he loves them, he's very honest with them, and he gives them the much-needed dose of reality when it comes to their reputation not meeting the reality. Draw your attention to the end of verse one there. We, we find the correction from Jesus. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Notice Jesus says he knows their works, like, and yet he can commends them not. There's no works that Jesus can, can commend them for. There's nothing that they're doing that he can say, hey, good job. Not a single thing, but they're working but they're working, and, you know, they're doing things. It's not like they're sitting, they're, they're, they're not really maybe reaching out to the community and they don't have programs in the church and they have all kinds of stuff going on. That's, that's probably the case. They probably do. But Jesus says, I know your works. He knows that there's things that they're doing there. The problem is that they're laboring in vain because they're doing it in the, in the flesh and not in the spirit. That is an error that every believer has to be aware of where Jesus begins a great work and then man 
takes control of it, and then it gets messed up. That's exactly what happens. When man tries to get in the middle of what God is doing, it gets messed up spiritually. It can look vibrant and alive from the outside, but it's dead on the inside. It's a danger for you and I, and it also uh, tells you and I that we really need to understand what it looks like, to, what a church that is alive looks like. What does that church kind of look like? What, what, you know, would we be able to tell that Sardis was dead? Do you have biblical knowledge enough to walk into a place and say, is the Lord here or not? That's a question for you. You have to ask yourself that, and it's not feelings, Although the Lord uses feelings, of course, and, you know, wow, I really got goosebumps when they sang that song today. I love that song, by the way, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and but this is surely the Lord's working here. Be careful. Be careful that you're, you're not allowing your emotions to dictate. We, we don't look to emotions to tell us if Jesus is here. We look to the Word of God. What's being presented from the pulpit what, what are the songs being sang about? I don't know if you've noticed about worship songs these days, folks, but we're singing about ourselves. We're singing about how great we are, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying that we can't ever sing a song about how we love the Lord and all that kind of stuff because I do those songs sometimes myself. But what I'm saying is, is that you can tell whether Jesus is the center of somewhere or not by the content, by the content that's being put out in every aspect by talking to the people, you know, and so we have to be, we have to be careful, you know, there can be a lot of dynamic things going on, and there can be this great work that looks like is happening, but the spirit cannot be present. It is possible for us to do a lot of things in the flesh that look, look like the spirit. The, the devil is the great deceiver, and he can make that, that fake fruit look real. You know, you see some of those plants, and I always ask my wife, I'm like, is that real? I can't tell, man. I'm a, I don't know plants or anything like that. And she's like, no, that's fake. I'm like, dude, it looks real to me. That happens in the church. You know, we, we got to know the word of God. We need to be careful. Listen, um, what can happen if we start in the spirit and be, and, and be made perfect in the flesh, like Paul said to the Galatians, then we will produce Ishmael's in our life. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Abraham. Remember when the Lord promised him to have a child and Abraham was, was waiting on the Lord? And, and of course, he and his wife were having this dialogue like, hey, when's this gonna happen? It's been 20-some years. Like, what is the, maybe the Lord meant this. Let's take matters into our own hands and let's, let's actually produce what we believe the Lord told us we were gonna have. And so what do they do? They take the maids, even, both of them are involved in this, by the way the wife and the husband, Sarah and Abraham. They take the maidservant. Abraham has, uh, you know, relations with her. The next thing you know, they have a little baby, and they're like, look what we did, Lord. And the Lord's like, oh, my gosh. What did you do? Why did you do that? Why did you take matters into your own hands? And, of course, not too long after that, the Lord opens up Sarah's womb, and she has Isaac. That was the promised child. Uh, Ishmael was a work of the flesh. And the work of the flesh will always be a thorn in your flesh. It always will be. And in fact, it's interesting that the, the, the work of the flesh from Ishmael became the father of, we're, we're feeling the repercussions of that today because Ishmael became the father of the Islamic nations. And so we wonder, maybe you're here today and you have some Ishmaels in your life. 
and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you say, hey, I took matters into my own hands and I'm still dealing with the repercussions of that. There's still hope. The Lord has not left his throne. He can still use anything and he does use everything. But don't think for a second that the repercussions go away. So be careful. Don't walk in the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Jesus said we're supposed to depend on him. He said this. He said it like this in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Some things? Nothing. You can do nothing. And he doesn't mean that you can't physically do nothing. What he means is that you can't do anything that translates into eternity in heaven. Anything done in the flesh will be burned up, folks. Anything. The Lord says, do you want, you want to bear real fruit? You got to abide in me. You got to trust in me. You got to have your eyes on me at all times. Don't listen to your own wisdom. Don't try and walk in your own power. Don't try trust. Don't try trust in the Lord. That's how we walk in the spirit of the Lord. We let the Lord do what he's going to do. And if it's 20-some years later and you haven't had the kid yet, you wait some more. You don't just act and say, see what we did, Lord? Listen, there's a huge danger to do that in church. To add a program here or do a little marketing campaign there or take on these church growth programs and, and the next thing you know, you're going to be at, listen, I don't want that kind of stuff. I want the Lord to do what he's going to do. And if there's only one person that shows up, praise God. If nobody shows up, guess what? I'm not going to stop being who I am. Which, by the way, thank you ladies for showing up today. That was awesome of you. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, I talked about ladies last week. Go check it out. Um, so this church, this church had a great reputation of being a Holy Spirit-filled church, didn't they? But they weren't. They weren't, and Jesus addresses that. Jesus tells them straight up, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. How do you become alive in Christ? You put your faith in Jesus Christ. There's no work in that, folks. It's a decision that you've, you're making to put all your eggs in Jesus' basket, everything that you are, not some things, all things. It's got to be a sincere decision that you're making. It's a lifelong decision. It's something that you, when you are sincere, literally you've made up your mind. You've decided I'm not turning back. I'm going to put my hand to the plow of Jesus and I'm not going back. And when you come to the Lord in sincerity like that and you trust in him and you give him everything that you are, what happens in that moment is you're born again. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. The same breath that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam after he formed him in the dust comes inside of you. You are born again. Now you're alive. But before that, you're not, are you? You're dead. Remember what the Lord said to Adam and Eve? If you eat the fruit, and that's what Satan said, you won't surely die. Come on. The Lord just doesn't want you to know what he knows. And that's exactly true. The Lord didn't want them to know what evil was. He didn't want them to experience death. And yet, the enemy pulled the wool over their eyes. They, and it's not his fault. It's their fault. They took, you know, it's really, to be honest, 
it's really Adam's fault if we want to get down to it. But we like to blame the woman anyway, so, you know. <laughs> but, but the reality of, of it was is that they surely died immediately. They were separated from God the moment that they tasted the sweetness of that fruit, whatever it was. They died spiritually. They were dead, which began the process of them physically dying. Right? God's word doesn't return void. He does exactly what he says he's going to do. They partook of the fruit, and guess what? They died. But when, when you come to Christ then, he restores that life to you. Jesus said, I came to give life and more abundantly. He blows that life back into you. If you read, I think it's John chapter 21, Jesus found after he's resurrected in the upper room, it might be John 20, 20 or 21, but he goes into the upper room and here's the disciples sitting there. They're afraid. They heard he rose again from the dead. They're not sure. They're doubting. They're, they're waiting. And the Lord shows up. He steps through the wall and he's like, dudes, what's up? And they're like, whoa, it's Jesus. And in that moment, the word of God tells us, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They couldn't get the Holy Spirit until he died and rose again from the dead. Now they were made alive. Why did Peter deny Christ before, um, when Jesus went to the cross? Because he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit yet. But when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was crucified upside down. So the power that we have in the Holy Spirit is far beyond anything that we could ever try and accomplish in the, in the flesh, folks. You want to walk in the Spirit of God. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What is it that you're facing today? What, what circumstance do you find yourselves in? And what method of the flesh are you trying to work out in your mind so that you can accomplish what it is that you're faced with? Let me tell you something. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Don't look to the flesh. You pray to the Lord. You ask, God, help me. I need to experience. And sometimes you might hear the words, just endure. Just endure. That's what I want you to do in this moment. In the spirit of God, I want you to endure. We're so used to just taking charge and moving forward. And sometimes the Lord says, take a stand and just stand there. And that's all I want you to do. Uh, so here this church is, Jesus is addressing the issue to the core right away. You, everybody says that you're alive, but you're not, you're dead. So he, he's kind of, he corrects them. Historically, this is pointing back to the Reformation period, guys. And, and really, you, you remember that period of time where the Catholic church was dead. It was dead. It was all about works, works of the flesh. You know, things that we do in our flesh to work our way to God. And the Lord began to do a work in a man or several men at the same time. And he started what was the Reformation, which is what we are enjoying today as Protestant, you know, religion is what we're, 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 the movement that we're in right now is a result of that, folks. It's a result of what the Lord did through men like John Wycliffe, through John Huss, Hugh Latimer, people like Tyndale and Luther and Wesley. The Reformation brought great light to the world because it was a work of the Spirit. And yet, much of the work that was done there is sadly been stopped because people stopped depending on the Spirit of God and they went back to depending on the flesh. Go to Europe, where these men were, where they were birthed from, where all the great works that were happening there. 
and go into the churches in Europe on a Sunday morning. You'll see these great churches that are huge and beautiful with like 10 or 15 people in them. It's sad. The church is dead in Europe. It is dead. Church in Europe is the church of Sardis. There are, there are those who are alive and who are walking with the Lord. There's always a remnant of people. Don't ever forget that. There's always people that are following the Lord. But listen, for, in, to a large degree, the churches in, in Europe are dead. They have, the, the Spirit of God is absent from their presence. What a sad place to be. You know, theologian Dr. Vance Havner rightly described the four stages that a ministry can go to, can go through, doesn't mean that they do, but, the, but every, everything the Lord does always starts with a man. We see that with Moses. The Lord called Moses, and then Moses went and he, he led the children of Israel out of, you know, into the promised land or got to them close to it anyhow. The Lord begins with a man. Then he creates a movement which can turn into a machine that can eventually turn into a monument where it looks like it's everything's great, but it's not. They're, they're living on the past glories. We want to see the Lord work through a man. Maybe you're the man. Maybe you're the woman that the Lord wants to work through. The Holy Spirit wants to come in your life, and he wants to start a movement through you. Great. Do it. Do it in the name of the Lord. Let the Spirit of God lead you. Be careful that it doesn't become a machine. Because do you know, once you start a machine, it can go on its own. It doesn't need your help. It can do it on its own. And what's always, always scary about something that grows, I had a business that went from zero employees to 450 employees in a, in a very short amount of time. And what happened was it became a machine that lost its vision. I'm speaking from personal experience that I can see how that happens when if you don't maintain the vision and everybody in, 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 the, in the company understands what you're doing, then the end result will be different because people will do what they want. And that is reality. The Lord uses a man and he starts a movement, but we never want that movement to become a machine because that machine can go on its own. And if it does become a machine, there's a great chance that it will become a monument. Just something we look at and we go, look at the pretty buildings over there in Europe and let's go tour them and take pictures of them. But where's the life? Where's the thing that the Lord did in these, in these places where Spurgeon spoke from a pulpit or, you know, Wesley spoke and thousands of people got saved or, you know, mood, the movement came over to the United States and, you know, you got guys like Moody and all these guys that are, that are being used by the Spirit of God. Their calling that the Lord put on their life became a movement, which many of them became a machine. It's now a monument. Many denominations are dying, folks. They're dying. Why are they dying? I'm not the person to judge, but what I can say is that having begun in the spirit, will you be made perfect in the flesh? And that goes for you too. How are you living your life? Jesus wants to address somebody who thinks they're alive that is not. And so he does that here. And he moves on. He gives them five commands. Jesus always gives us a solution to the problem. Here's what he says in verse two. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your works complete in, for your, have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Repent. 
or keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at the hour I will come against you. Jesus gives these, uh, these people in Sardis five commands here. He gives five specific things. He tells them to wake up, to strengthen what remains, remember what, was, what they've received and heard, keep it, and repent. Here's the fivefold commands that Jesus gives to this church. Firstly, he tells this church to wake up. Remember, the city of Sardis will happen to them if they don't wake up. The phrase means to be in continual state of readiness and alertness to be watchful. Jesus wants his church to be awake. If we, st- if we ever st- um, stand the chance of seeing a revival, the church has to be awake, folks. Somebody's got to be awake. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one that the Lord will use. But we have to be awake. It's the same message that Jesus said to Peter, James, and John in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, he told them, he, he instructed them, remain here and watch. He literally, stay awake. Watch and pray with me. The church must be awake if we, if we want to see revival. Secondly, the church in Sardis must strengthen what remains. Listen, there's still a faint pulse in the church. The Lord is still doing something through, there's a few people that know the Lord that are walking in the spirit that are doing the right things, but their voices are being drowned out by all the commotion and all the things that are going on in this church. And the Lord is saying, strengthen what remains. Listen to the people that know what they're talking about. You know, stop listening to people who are going the wrong direction. Well, I don't know about the Bible. You know, I'm just not sure if it's absolute. Wrong person to listen to. Listen, you have to be careful about the content that you allow into your life. You have to strengthen. If you're weak already, you don't want to listen to things that are going to put you in a weaker state. You need to find some... Some, you need to find a foundation, something that you, can, you know is firm, that you can hold on to. The word of God is where it starts. You listen to the word of God, and you, you hear what it has to say to us. Strengthen what remains. Jesus is telling them to fan into flame from the embers that are there in that church, and to allow it to become a roar again, like it once was. Not to be glorying in the past, but to do something that they can glory in the present. Jesus, he goes on here, and the third thing he tells them is, remember what was received and heard. Remember is a work of the Holy Spirit. You know, remembering is a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 25 and 26, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. We need to trust the Holy Spirit, walk in the Holy Spirit to remember what we've received and heard. Sometimes, listen, we're looking so far down the line that we forget the basics, right? And it's always whenever you find yourself off plumb or off, off, off the course somehow, the first thing you need to do is get back to the basics, Just do the very basic things. Jesus told the church in Ephesus, remember where you once fell. Repent and do your first works. That's the first step is always right to the very beginning. Right to the cross at Calvary, on your knees, confessing your sin to the Lord, turning away from your sin and turning to him. That's where it starts. Remember what was received and heard. 
Then fourthly, he tells them to keep it. Keep what? Keep his word. Jesus said in John 8, 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You want to make sure that you have life, you stay in his word. You stay grounded. You, you stay in you, 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 uh, his commandments. That's not how you're saved, folks. But it is the reality of your salvation. Are you keeping the word? Are you walking in the word today? Again, not by might, not by power, but by the Holy Spirit, by the strength of the Spirit of God. And fifthly, he says that this church needs to repent. You can't have continual communion with God if you are unrepentant. My brother Tim reminded me, Mauricio reminded me a couple, days, a couple weeks ago when I was talking about repentance. He said, you know, it's interesting that uh, believers also, sometimes we forget, but we need to repent on a regular basis. Repentance is not a one-time act, folks. It's a continual thing. It's a relational thing with the Lord. It is that one-time act, you know, where you repent of your sins and you come to Christ, but there's that continual relationship aspect where you continue in communion with the Lord and fellowship with the Lord through the act of repentance, which is twofold, confessing your sins to God and turning away from them and turning to him. That's what it means. The Lord says, if you will not listen to my words, if you won't follow the prescription that I've given you, I will come like a thief in the night at an hour that no one knows and come against you. Is he serious about that? You bet he's serious about it. Is he saying this because he's threatening them because he wants them to fear him and all of those kinds of things? He's saying that to warn them because he loves them. This is the heart of God. As we go through the, the book of Revelation, what you're going to find is the incredible compassion that God has for us that he will continually reach down further and further and further until he can't reach any further because your, your, your life is over. The very last moments of your life, if you don't know the Lord, he is reaching for you. He loves you. He does not want you to depart this life not knowing him. And I don't care who it is in your life that you're praying for, that you want to come to see the Lord and all that kind of stuff. Know that the Lord is so at work, so much more at work. You don't have to worry. You just pray. You trust the Lord. He is at work. He's already working. He loves them far more, far greater than you could ever love them. So you trust the Lord. The Lord will come like a thief in the night. If the, and when he does, he will judge these, this church for being dead. He's offering them life. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord and you don't, you don't have true life, you, you maybe have religion or, you know, or, or maybe you're here for the first time, you don't even know what you're doing. Listen, the Lord draws us to himself. He wants to have relationship with you. He wants your sins to be forgiven. Here, we're gonna partake in communion here in a little bit, and it's all about what Jesus has done for us. It's for believers. It's for people who have trusted in Jesus. If that's not you this morning, you do it today. You come to Christ, and then you partake of the, of the communion. You partake of the bread that represents his body, the, the cup that was his blood shed for you on Calvary. He's done that for you. He does not want to judge you, but he will. He will. And sadly, I, I think it will be with a tear in his eye. Think about that moment with Jesus and Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Judas pointed Jesus out 
And he walked up to him and he gave him a kiss and he said, friend, why have you come? I wonder if there wasn't just a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a tear in his eye when he said, Judas, you betray the son of man with a kiss. Man, what are you doing? Like giving him one more opportunity. Just come on, man. You can repent right now. You can do it. And he didn't. And guess what happens? He goes and he can't even face himself because of what he's done. That's what sin does. Sin puts us in a cycle of shame and guilt. And you know what? The end of that game is death. And Judas ended up hanging himself because he could not handle what he had done, the sorrow. Listen, there's worldly sorrow that truly does make you sad, but it's only godly sorrow that leads you to repentance. When, you, when, you, when you're not sorry that you got caught, but you're sorry because you offended the God of heaven and you recognize that and that's a true thing that you come before the Lord. Jesus moves on here and he gives us the conditional promise here. He says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in the white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Although the majority of this church have been lulled to sleep like the culture it lives in, there were some who had, become, uh, who had not become complacent and comfortable. And it's to these that Jesus speaks. And to anyone else who would come to him, he gives them three specific conditional promises. First, that they would walk with him in white. It's interesting that Jesus mentions two garments here. He mentions one garment of the people of Sardis who have uh, the soiled garment. And in fact, Isaiah remind you remind us, Isaiah 64, 6 reminds us of this. He says, we have all become like one who is unclean and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, literally like a menstrual rag. That's what it means, polluted garment. Trying to reach God on your own is nothing more than a soiled garment, folks. He wants to wash you clean. He wants to make you pure. So, Jesus mentions another garment, and it's the white garment. It's the only garment. It's the, it's the great exchange of Christ on Calvary, where he takes all your filthy rags, and he trades you for his glorious robe of righteousness. He gives you uh, the, 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 that white, that pure and holy and righteous robe to wear. Reminded of what the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. It's a reasonable thing to believe in the gospel. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, it's the blood of Christ that washes us uh, clean, washes us white as snow, and our faith in him is how we are made righteous and whole. Isaiah goes on in Isaiah 61, 11, and he says that we've been given the robe of righteousness through Christ. Jesus promises the one who conquers will be given a white garment, and secondly, he will never blot their name out of the book of life. This is where the Lord says, your salvation is secure in me. Your salvation is secure in me. If you've been given life, if you've come to Christ, your name will never be blotted out of the book of life. It will not be. Jesus is telling us that we can trust him. Listen, we didn't do anything to gain salvation, and you can't do anything to lose it, folks. He came for sinners, 
And he understands you're a sinner. He wants to cleanse you. And when you are cleansed, when you are truly cleansed, and the gavel goes down in heaven, and he says justified, that's a one-time act, folks. Your sins, past, present, and future, are wiped away. Your slate is clean. Well, why do we repent and why do we pray to the Lord then when we fail and we, we falter? Because that's how we restore our fellowship with the Lord here on this earth. Listen, when you come to Christ, you are changed and transformed. Positionally, you are righteous before the Father. He, when he sees you, he sees his son. Positionally. Practically speaking, we're messed up. And we're trying to walk out life and hopefully we're, you know, sinning less. We'll never be sinless. But hopefully we're sinning less, and that's, that should be the goal. But we're in an active, um, you know, participation and, and repentance and getting right before the Lord. And um, the Lord says, I'm never going to blot you out of my book of life. But if you don't know me, your name won't be there. If you don't know me, it's not enough to know him. The question is, does he know you? When you stand before him one day, what is he going to say? Is he going to say, depart from me, I never knew you? Or is he going to say, enter into your rest? Well done, good and faithful servant. What is he going to say to you? That's something you should consider this morning. Jesus said, I will not blot you out of the book of life. Thirdly, Jesus promises to confess the name of every believer before his father. Don't you want to hear Jesus say your name before the father? Hey, dad, let me introduce you to your son, your daughter, and he says your name. Isn't that going to be awesome? Oh, man, and he's going to give you a new name, by the way. Only you know it. I don't know what it is. You can't ask me. I don't know. But he's going to give you a new name, and he's going to declare it before his father. So say, man, it's going to be great. He wants to give us a new name. He, he, he reminds us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 3, he said, 33, he says, so Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. The great reward for those who heed the warning of Jesus is this threefold conditional promises. They're conditional, and they're based on your relationship with Christ. He wants you to experience these. Thus he says, finally in verse 6, he who has an ear to hear... Let him hear what the church said, what the Spirit says to the churches. I was reading an article in preparation for this from Thomas, Tom S. Rainier. It's not Thomas, it's Tom S. Rainier. And uh, he was talking about the state of the church. It was written about three years ago. He's talking about denominations and these stuff. And he was saying, the state of the church, it's dying. The church is dying. 100 to 200 churches are closing their doors every week to the tune of six to 10,000 a year. Jesus tells us, wash. We're here, folks. Having begun in the spirit, are you gonna be made perfect in the flesh? Are you gonna walk in the spirit or are you gonna walk in the methods of man? Are you gonna allow the spirit to move or are you gonna control um, you know, all that's going on and you know, be the Lord of your life? Jesus won't compete with that. He'll just, he'll just let you do whatever you want to do. But don't expect him. Don't expect his spirit to bless what you're doing. Sometimes we do that. We do a work in the flesh and we go, okay, Lord. 
<laughs> now bless it. And he's like, no way. That's not of me. I don't want you to do that. It's going to take you down the wrong road. He gives a, a number of reasons, a number of different things that churches need to consider. You know, why they're, why they're dying. Trying to warn them before it's too late, before they have to shut their doors. And I would say the same thing to you this morning that, you know, the greatest thing that we can learn through the church of Sardis is not to walk in the flesh, but to depend on the spirit. How do I know if I'm doing that? Well, I want to give you three things that actually go right in line with the vision of our church, which is to grow, go, give. So how do I know if I'm spirit-led? How do I know if the, the Holy Spirit is, you know, working out my, in my life? Number one, are you growing? The first question you have to ask yourself is, am I growing? Am I the same person? Have I changed? Am I growing? The second question you can ask yourself is, am I going where he calls me to go? Are you doing what you want to do? Or are you doing what the Lord, are you asking the Lord what he wants you to do? Or are you just doing whatever? Are you going in the spirit of God exactly the way, the time, and the place that he wants you to go? It's number two. Number three, are you a giver? Or are you a taker? Are you a person that is constantly giving? It can be financially, through talents, through, you know, are you serving? Are you giving in some way, shape, or form? Are you giving back to the Lord? He didn't give everything for you, for you to give some or none. He gave everything to you, and he expects you to give everything back to him. And so you, you go before the Lord and ask him, Lord, am I a giver? Am I walking in the spirit? These are basic things, folks. Am I growing? Am I going? Am I giving? Very basic things, just like all the basic principles that we have laid out on these walls. They're basics. They're meant to keep us on the straight and narrow path. Ask yourself today, Lord, am I walking in the spirit or am I walking in the flesh? Do I have a true relationship with you? You know, how do I know? Am I growing? Am I going? Am I giving? Examine your hearts as we pre prepare to take for communion. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. What a message, Lord, from the church in Sardis. And what an incredible past few messages through these churches that you've, we've gone through, Lord, and just how impactful they are. This morning, we want to consider our hearts before you, Lord. Are we walking in the spirit? Are we trying to be made perfect in the flesh? Father, we pray right now that you would just give us a clear understanding of where we are. Do we know you? More importantly, do you know us? Are we being faithful with what you've given us, Lord? Are we off track? God, are we, are we doing exactly what you want us to do and you're just encouraging us to stay the course? We thank you for all of those people that are present in this room in all those states. We pray that we would just respond correctly now by your spirit. We ask you, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, Lord, that you draw them to yourself, that you help them to understand that they can reach out because you're reaching down. They can grab hold of your hand because you've already extended it. And they can be pulled up from death into life.
through the cross at Calvary, through the blood of Jesus Christ. All they have to do, Lord, is come by faith this morning with everything that they are and make you the Lord of their life. And we just pray, Father, that you move in this place this morning. We ask you, Lord, to draw those to yourself that need to know you. Those who are backslidden, who need to rededicate their lives to you, Lord. Will you just move now? Will you help them? If that's you this morning, you just reach out to the Lord and you confess your sin. You, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you this morning. Will you come inside me? Will you make me new? Will you recognizing that you died on the cross and you rose again from the dead for me? And I receive that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.